Welcome to Succession Stories, Insights for Next Generation Entrepreneurs. I'm Lori Barkman. I've spent my career bringing an entrepreneurial approach to mature companies struggling with change. As an outside executive of a third-generation, 120-year-old company, I was part of a long-term succession plan. Now I work with entrepreneurs, privately held companies, and family businesses to develop innovations that create enterprise value and transition plans to achieve their long-term goals. On this podcast, listen in while I talk with entrepreneurs who are driving innovation and culture change. I speak with owners who successfully transition their company and others who experience disappointment along the way. Guests also include experts in multi-generational businesses and entrepreneurship. If you are a next-generation entrepreneur looking for inspiration to grow and thrive, or an owner who can't figure out the best way to transition their closely held company, this podcast is for you. Subscribe to our newsletter for more resources to build value in your business. Visit small.big.com. That's small.big.com and sign up today. The pandemic has changed many things for small business owners. A 2020 survey from the Value Builder System showed that more business owners are accelerating their succession plans, looking to sell their company to a third party within five years. Additionally, business owners define wealth differently than before, emphasizing freedom and time to do what you want. What does wealth mean to you? This week, I spoke with Rob McKinney, founder of Bridgeview Wealth, about how wealth isn't just about money. We talked about how entrepreneurs and family businesses can pass on their values along with their money, connecting their heart and history with their future and finances across generations. Rob McKinney, so great to see you. Thanks so much for being on the show today. I'm really excited to talk to you for a couple of reasons. One is, I think you've done an amazing job at productizing a service. And what does that mean? Well, we'll talk more about that as you describe what you do and how you help clients. But more importantly is the what you do and working with families, working with clients on the future, their future, their legacy, I think is a really, really important thing. So I'm excited to be with you today. Thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you, Lori. I think you're doing a great job. I've really enjoyed listening to some of your past interviewees. I know some of them. It's been fun. I'm looking forward to today. Awesome. Awesome. So why don't we start with you? If you can just give us a brief introduction, give us a bit about your background and what you do. Sure. I'd be glad to. Well, I'm first and foremost a father of three awesome adult children who have turned out great. I'm very proud of them. And four incredible grandsons who affectionately know me as G-Daddy. So that's that's a fun role I play. I'm a great friend, an employer, an advisor to those with financial and family needs and ideas that they want to accomplish in a very purposeful way. Bridgeview Wealth has a mission to help families flourish. We support those families who want more than just the financial and the technical life and estate planning performed. We, we facilitate a process that we named the ultimate discovery experience for those who deem that this focus would be meaningful. In the end, it really what it does is it coordinates the financial along with the family balance sheet. And we'll talk more later, hopefully, about how we define wealth. Yeah, that's a wonderful tee up for what we'll talk about. What inspired you to do things differently in creating your firm and creating that process that you mentioned? And can you tell us a little bit about your journey in working with families? Thank you. That's a great question. 
when I entered the financial industry 28 years ago, I was looking for a career change and I wanted a place where I could have a long lasting and purposeful impact, not transactional, which is the, the, the space from which I came. A friend had encouraged me and, and thought that I would be a bright light in a dark industry in this financial space. It, but it took really 10 years for me to figure out what the heck he was, what he was saying and really to the extent of what he meant. And I became disappointed with not only my industry, but how various advisors lack collaboration and really placing the family interests first. So I actually went on a nationwide hunt for methods of, of planning successfully. I found success means a lot of different things to different advisors from marketing machines versus filling gaps for families who want and need something different than what Wall Street wants. What I realized is that the very well-intended advisors, and I'm talking financial advisors, attorneys, CPAs, agents, learn from their professions, their mentors, their teachers, Wall Street, from companies, how to present their best ideas and best picks. And you as a client hope that those ideas would be an appropriate strategy. And then you hope that that strategy would satisfy or meet your goals. And I, I kind of saw this as, as an upside down pyramid with the apex kind of at the bottom, putting advisor company ideas first at the bottom part, then the strategy on the next tier, then the goals at, at an inverted almost baseline. So we uprighted that pyramid and said, hey, let's look at a vision, values, and goals as the baseline. And then how do we uncover that? So we put the pyramid this way, established vision, values, mission, even, and goals as a baseline. And then we go to strategy and ideas at the marketplace to capture the best ideas of the advisor team. How long did it take you to put all of that together? You said you kind of went on an exploration. And so you were already working in financial services, but really what was it that sort of prompted that exploration? Were you finding that clients ultimately were sort of dissatisfied with the status quo? Was there something inherently in how you saw the world that made you want to do it differently? Yeah, I, I saw the ladder stacked against the client. I saw a disunity when I was attempting to collaborate with other advisors, everybody vying for their own interests, CPAs, attorneys, financial people, you know, from the from the heavy marketers to the people that were genuinely interested in. And you know, the most difficult thing I had to learn was to not have an agenda, to go into meetings with having questions and no answers, no outline, because our industries, all of them that I'm referencing, are taught. Here's the beginning and here's the end. And to not have the end in mind when you go in can be a scary place. So it literally took me years to establish a comfort level. And now I have a piece about not knowing the end. It's fun. Yeah. It's exciting. It's that adventurous. That is exciting, to not but gosh, that sounds end. hard. <laughs> that sounds really hard. <laughs> well, it's hard to get there when you were taught a different way. That's right. But you created a whole new playbook, which is what I find so fascinating about your practice. And the clients that you work with, I know they're they're around the whole country. Are they, in this context, family businesses or are they business owners, entrepreneurs, or kind of your everyday family or a mix of all the above? Kind of a mix of all the above. But I like complex circumstances. 
I'm, I'm crazy like that. And so I find that family businesses with multi-gens involved, I find that I, my skill set fits that well and can help solve multi-faceted problems. So people that have financial wealth or other assets, whether it's real estate, I love real estate and businesses. So that complexity helps, I guess, feed me too. <laughs> you like the problem solving nature of it, but there's also this emotional quotient or the EQ side that is probably driving you and looking to work with people to ultimately achieve their dream or whatever that lasting legacy is. And when you mentioned the multi-gen, I think, yes, totally agree that there's a lot of complexity there, certainly on this show and in my own experiences. But I think anyone listening, if you're a business owner, you could probably relate, even if it's not a family business. Having that vision, the values, the goals is awesome and so important. And it sounds like a great place to start. So I like that picture, that visual, that inverted pyramid you describe. And and sometimes on the I wrote show, an article talk, about yeah, it too, ahead. and it's on our website. So feel free to check it out. Okay, great. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. One of the sayings that we hear a lot and we see a lot in the data is shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations, which means pretty much by the time a company is is in its third generation and its its likelihood of continuing to the fourth is pretty low it's on an under 10% percentage at this point i i think 8% is the number and that's very often the case so what do you find in terms of the your process and working with multi-gen companies to talk about these family dynamics and to bring things up that maybe are hard conversations maybe they've never really had these conversations before how do you bring these dynamics up in your ultimate discovery experience? Well, you're talking about, I think, there's a traditional estate legacy planning model that has a focus around dump, divide, defer, and dissipate assets. Our process, the ultimate discovery experience, delves into a focus on more behavioral and relational aspects of families, origin, and their current nature. So we explore the stories of past and the hopes and vision of a family's future. So this is more about enriching and enhancing life. We utilize many experiential tools in this ultimate discovery process, evaluations and questionnaires, indexes. Let me just share a couple that that I like, but we, we first start with the planning horizon. So if you think of the horizon on a landscape as a line, there's stuff above and there's stuff below this horizon of life. And we look at focusing on the why first, which is the above planning horizon versus the what. And most of my colleagues and peers and other industries even are focused on the what stuff first. People think about what do I do? What should I do? What's the answer? Well, you got to dig in first the why. You got to find the why. So that. And that, that cycle of dealing with the why and the what actually ends up creating clarity and then confidence in your decision-making. So that's where we start. And some of the tools we use, I'll give you two of my favorites. Yes. One is Angels and Heroes that I've picked up from Scott Farnsworth, one of my industry mentors, an attorney in Florida, but he's done a lot of work with families all around the country. It's a way to help people see what their values are, because sometimes people don't even know. So this helps, and you, you identify your past at different time brackets of your life. Who was an angel or a hero? 
And then you find out and you talk about that and why. And that, you know, you, you end up discovering which values are most important and what has molded people's past and even directs them now. The other one is priceless conversations. So we have about 20 different conversations with about 20 different interview questions in each. And these are around life stages, experiences. We, we even record them in a gift box. It's used for developing trusts and wills and putting narrative messages in those legacy documents. Topics might include legacy, work, business, grandkids, faith, giving, love, success, our special child, wisdom. Those are just about half of them. The meaning of money is a place we like to start. It does three things. All of these do three things. It helps us understand you better. Second, it helps you understand you better. And third, it helps a couple, if I'm working with a couple, hear about each other. I can't tell you how many times stories come out and a couple married 20, 30, 40 years. I didn't know that about you. I didn't understand that. And we have an index called the tissue index. Rarely have I done one that I didn't need to grab a tissue (laughs) somewhere along the line in the story. So that's a measure, I think, of great success because you're getting under the veneer. You're getting deep. You're going several levels deep and really finding out who people are at their core when sometimes they don't even know. I mean, Lori, how often do people ask you about the meaning of money? Not often. (laughs) Not often. Wow. I should have you on the show together with Mike Schettinger. He was on last season and he works with people in the end of life. Literally, it's a funeral business. And what he talked about is the importance of legacy for those who are who are still around and the family and friends. And what strikes me here in these priceless conversations is because this is what lives on. I mean, even that you're putting them in a in a box. You said there's a gift box. Right. Or right. There, there's some there's some message here to the next generation, which is so meaningful. So, yes, you're going through from a fiduciary standpoint, financial planning and, and estate planning. But really, it's this it's almost like, you, you know, again, the metaphor or literal of, of a gift to the next generation of the why. And when we talked offline before the show, Rob, I think you had told me a story about examples of how these priceless conversations have mm literally been used in funerals. Can you share yes, some of yes. those stories? And I'll try to do this without tearing up, but oh. a, a really good client um, wanted me to interview her mother-in-law. And I did. And within a year, she passed. She was 90 years old, beautiful woman. Um, at that age was almost suspect as to why I was asking these questions. But she was so generous and kind and gracious with answering them. And I was invited to the funeral, and it was a packed house at the church. And they had the monitors, the TV monitors on the sides of the of the of the church sanctuary. And they had her words and her vo- her voice sound. We did not we did not video. We just audioed. But they had her voice and her words with taglines on the screen. What she was saying, and I can tell you, there was not a dry eye. Family members were were sobbing. It was incredible. So we use these to help families pass this message on 
with their money. Yeah, that's a really powerful example. I'm just thinking now because of the restrictions we have in our country on travel. And at the time of this recording, you know, it's not quite Thanksgiving yet. And we're already thinking about in our family, maybe not going on the driving trip we were going to go to um, another state. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to not be able to see families. And we don't know what's going to happen over the next year if people are living apart in different states. This is a very big country and our families are dispersed. I know mine is and, and many are. And so maybe now more than ever, these recordings and conversations with family about what's important and documenting them is a really good thing to do. Yeah, it really is. It really is. So one of the other things I wanted to ask you about is a family philanthropy approach. When you talk to families about what's important to them, you know, I would guess it's very common for families to want to give on, pass on their wealth in a meaningful way to their family. And I know there's a variety of vehicles and ways to do that. But then there's also the why, as you go back to the why you were talking about, of what's important. And maybe some of that why is is giving you know, their name or their funds or both to causes they care about. How do you have conversations with families about that? Good question. We have two tools we use, which we, we like card games. So one of them is um, these, these um, legacy impression cards. And they provide a creative way to prompt conversations regarding Topics pertaining to family wealth, business goals, values, multi-generational planning. So um, we we kind of spread them out and let families kind of pick um, what their favorite photos. There's about 30 or 40 photos of different life scenes, you know, pebbles stacked up next to the ocean, a beach scene, a tree in the woods family around the table with Thanksgiving, uh, you know, just different photographs that, that, that prompt thinking. And then we let them pick and then we get them to share what that, how that particular photo spoke to them. That's another really revealing way to help each other understand and listen to each other. A second uh, experience we have is the family philanthropic adventure. We have what's called mad cards that we start with. Uh, it's make a difference. And there's different, there's photos of different philanthropic charitable programs, projects. So animals, pets, um, Red Cross, church, you know, all there's like 30 different different charities. And so it's it's a similar process. You get to pick and narrow down, but it's done with a whole family of all ages. So it's really a learning journey, this, this, this experience. It's hard to do it in one sitting, but um, you end up selecting a charity that's not driven by the matriarch or patriarch. It's driven more by kind of committee or consensus. They then do quantitative and qualitative analysis of, this non, of a nonprofit that they might want to give to. Uh, they might do several. Um, and find out which one's best. Look at the look at the tax returns. See how what percentage is going to the cause versus going to administrative and um, executives. Um, so they get to leverage their gift and and present that gift also to a charity. They might even find ways to raise funds together instead of 
one member of the family writing a check, we try to encourage, you know, whether it's a car wash, digging out couches. Uh, one kid went around to a little child, went around to the neighborhood and said, I'm, we're doing this family charity. This is what we're, who we're giving to. Can you remove the pillows from your couch and see if there's any change in there? And he came back with like $19 from the neighborhood. <laughs> so there's all kinds of ways you can do that. Is there a generational aspect to having these conversations? Is it typically the grandparent generation, let's say, that's yeah. bringing in their sons, daughters, and then their children? Or do you find, so those are folks maybe in their 60s, 70s? Yep. Until you have grandchildren, this doesn't, it, it's it's not very effective. So that's kind of the rule. <laughs> do you have grandchildren? Okay, we can do this. Okay. A lot of people think charity starts at home. And until you get beyond a certain level or certain self-absorption, it's it's not uh, real effective. And there's there's basic needs that people have. I mean, they they just you know need to give modestly until they uh, can give more more generously. Rob, it sounds like you have learned a lot from your experience in doing this for a very long time, and even just the learning of not having an agenda coming into a meeting like this is, is a great learning. And I wanted to ask you a little bit of a challenging question on that, you know, and that's from when something hasn't quite gone your way. I, I use the word failure, but that sounds extreme. So is there a failure that has made you grateful, you know, because it has given you a perspective that you didn't have? Maybe you did a 180 and did something different because of that. Okay. You really do want to make me cry, don't you? So um, I'm divorced. And I've learned an incredible amount through that, uh, raising my children. Again, very proud. Their, their mother and I both think, think they're incredible. Anybody that knows them does. Um, but I learned a lot through that process. And that's probably something that has driven me to help in the relationship area of families. So when I deal work with a family and I see brokenness and every family has it, you, you can't enter a family scene and not find something that's broke. Uh, but that's what drives me. And when I see family members not want to be open to change or not want to be open to listening and hearing, um, it saddens my heart deeply. Um, we all, you know, I, I think everyone needs it has room for change. And it has to start, I think, kind of with with questions. I like to say questions are the answers. So that's where you find answers. Yeah, and sometimes the best question is the one that just brings out a thousand different answers we wouldn't have thought of previously and just leads to so many more things. I can appreciate that. And, and no, I'm not trying to make you cry. <laughs> so certainly on this show, we want to we want to be authentic. And I think that's what you are and which is and you bring it you bring it with your clients and you're bringing it today, which I really appreciate. So on a little bit of a lighter note, I think um you have a pastime of making wine, right? <laughs> I do. How did Some you get into that? Award-winning wines. How did you get into that? Once separated, I lived in a bed and breakfast for a year. And one of their draws was handmade wine. And this, who became a friend, learned from a, from a mafia guy how to make wine. And it was a kind of a crude way. And we, we used... Um, not a lot of chemicals, very little testing. Um, and then I met a friend who was making wine um, more scientific way. So that was quite a few years ago, about 12 years ago, 15 years ago. 
So I've been making it on my own for about 12 years, and we've won, I think, close to 20 international medals now from wow. bronze, <laughs> bronze up to gold. And it's a great relationship builder because I bring uh, clients and friends. You just have to have a love for wine. You don't have to be a client. We just We just like to relate and connect and bring people together. Um, around harvest, things that that God has blessed or given us in a way that reflects good yield, good harvest. So we we sometimes will use you know uh, symbolisms and assimilies around winemaking um, in our family process. That makes a lot of sense. It's really cool, really really cool. If you could summarize your career in a word or a phrase, what would it be? Who I think Socrates said it best when he was in his on his trial for death or exile. A life unexamined is not worth living. That's my phrase. Uh, in the early 90s, I read Tom Peters' book, Thriving on Chaos, where he pointed out that the survivors of the new millennium, those businesses that are going to survive, are going to be the ones that can change in the midst of market and society chaos. He was right. And in order to change, you, you've got to have, you have to question yourself. You have to examine hard, uh, not just what you're doing, but, but why, and be willing to change. Self-reflection. Self-reflection. Absolutely. Easier said than done. But that's yep. for a lot of leaders and, you know, whether you're in a family or not. And mostly, you know, we all have family members and we can sort of take those interpersonal issues. But sometimes we bring that, those family issues into the office. And so self-reflection is important in a lot of different ways. I like how you describe that. And this actually might be, Laurie, I don't know if we're going to get to it. So let me just interject the the defining or redefining the definition of, of wealth. Yeah. So when you think about wealth and when we ask families or individuals or at a cocktail party or anywhere at a social, you know, hey, what's wealth, what's wealth mean to you? What do you think of when you think of the word wealth? What do people mostly say? They, they, they say something around money something around financial, but it's not. It's incorporating all the human wealth, human assets, relational, intellectual, social, spiritual wealth into into a plan. That I find is one of the hardest shifts for advisors of all disciplines to make because everything is driven by the, the dump dump, you know, uh, defer, all that dissipate, or the legal document, or the tax return. And we we miss such a golden opportunity, a golden space to be able to say, this is what my legal documents and my financial plan needs to be directed towards, because this is who I am. Yeah, the meaning of money. You're right. It, that's probably a great place where your conversations start, as you said, when you talk about the why and their view of what is money or what is wealth to them. And those answers probably vary a lot. They do. Beyond just the money in your pocket. And you're just right. another second on the four Ds, because I'm not sure everybody would know what those mean. Dump, divide, defer, and dissipate. Can you just quickly talk about what each of those Ds mean? Dump, divide, defer, and dissipate. So dump is just giving it away. Defer is deferring tax, not paying it. Uh, divide is splitting it however I want between family members. 
and dissipating it is the church leaves the church leaves and three generation. It's all dissipated. It's gone uh, because the values aren't passed. The message isn't passed with the money. There's no underpinning. You know, when you think about and, and uh, James Grubman wrote a book and there's a dialogue, uh, Dennis Jaffe and he on um, uh, immigrants and inheritors and how immigrants from the foreign lands come over to America and they bring with them their stories, their roots. And that's who built, you know, America, or at least at least in part, that's what started it. Inheritors, second gen, third gen, grew up in a new world, in a new place. And they didn't have the benefit of where the originator came from. And so missing out on those stories you know, is, is part of the, the failure of, of some wealth. So we find that stories are, are very important to pass on. Yeah, absolutely. Have you had any situations where your process helped bring a family back together that was kind of on the brink of oh my God. extreme conflict? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've got a great story. Oh, this one's, this one's really good. So I have a long a, a couple long-term clients that were in the opposite sides of the city in the same industry. And one was middle age, like, like 50. And he was building his business and hadn't been on a family vacation for 10 years, worked his business, built it, was one of the most successful businesses in the country in this space. And he said, Rob, I'm going to retire in three to four years. I just need to do this one thing to this one location, this one entity, and I can rebuild it and switch it and do this and do that. And then I'm going to be worth another couple, $3 million in just three or four years. And I said, Joe, what, why? You can retire now. You know, that's the question. And, and you can go vacation with your family. So that engaged a detailed, very deep, heartfelt discussion that lasted about an hour and a half. And I gave him something to think about. So I, I fly home that day. I left him, took my car to the airport. I'm sitting in the airport. My phone rings. It's Joe. Rob, call your other client. I'm ready. So the other client, interestingly enough, had two adult children in their business. And they grew up in the business but it wasn't big enough to substantiate three families now from one. And they were just in this merging situation. So we were helping them in basic foundational relationship and communication issues, and they were delighted. So here's an example how two families realizing what they needed to do, it just, it just blended. I, I couldn't have designed that. It just, it just you know, providentially happened. Yeah, sort of right place, right time, but more so you were very attuned to what your client's needs were. They He really needed that heart to heart and you helped him figure out his his next at that yeah. moment. That's really powerful, Rob. That's a great story. That's a great story. Is there anything else that you want to share that I didn't ask you about today? Um, I think there's an, a couple underserved areas. There's a lot of large consulting firms that deal with the maybe 50 million, 100 million, billion area. We we serve the market under that. So probably in the five to 25 million net worth and even under 5 million, I still have legacy clients that I work with, um, love them. I'm afraid to let them go to 
fear where that end up. And there's a there's a a single woman, kind of a divorced single woman market that area that's underserved. And I've helped several uh, divorcees that just whose maybe husbands did all the finance and they're now on their feet and some of them own businesses and and they just you know one client an aunt father and a mother died in two and a half years and she had three estates to settle she was being run around by the the law firm had three different attorneys was overpaying needed a CPA to do some some calculations and I just stepped in and um and helped. And that was a that was not a not a large client, but um very needy. So we have found a place almost uh for me, it's kind of a, a tithing or a missional work to help some of these um clients that that really need it. Yeah, no, that's really great. If people are looking to get in touch with you, Rob, or your firm, how do they find you online? Bridgeviewwealth.com. Great. Great. And and we'll certainly have the links for that in the show notes. And last but not least, of course, I love to ask all of my guests if you have a favorite quote about entrepreneurship or even leadership. That's a good one. Yes, I do. Leave someone better than you found them. My uncle taught me, my uncle Jim, favorite uncle, always leave a place, a workplace better than you found it. And when I got into the business world, that rang true. And I started thinking about people and leaving them better than you found them. And even in the New Testament, the book of Philippians, in humility, treat others more important than yourself. And I think that's probably my best, my best line for leadership and entrepreneurship. That's a great place to end. Thanks so much for being with me today, Rob. The priceless conversation stories, the resilience to really self-reflect, rise to a greater purpose and find our why, I think is a, it's a wonderful message for everybody. So thanks for being here today. Thank you, Lori. It's been an honor. Innovation, transition, growth. Easy to say, but hard to do. If you're an entrepreneur facing these challenges, I get it. I work with businesses from small to big to achieve your vision. Visit smalldotbig.com to learn more. I'd love to connect with you. Subscribe to Succession Stories. And if you enjoy the show, please share a rating and review. Thanks for listening.